You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Kaiju Edition. Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm an obedient host. We've got Jake right there. Hey. He's a pastor. He reviews movies on this program. We've got Ben right there. Hello. He's a pastor. He reviews movies on this program. This program being Sanity at the Movies. Today we are talking about the latest Godzilla movie, not the tripe American stuff, the Monsterverse, I think they call it, the... Or something, I don't know. The Kurt Russell thing on Apple TV combined with the all those crummy movies. Not that. This is the prime stuff. What's it called when cocaine's really good? Like, is it just uncut? Hey, we could go ask Meredith. We could go ask Meredith. Because she... That's not very nice, Jake. <laughs> so She's an undercover narcotics so She's an under, undercover narcotics. I guess we should have said that on the podcast. Well, Fun fact <laughs> about Jake... He's been doing a lot of that joke today. I sure have. A lot of. I don't know why. Basically, yo, not yo mama, because that's like, <laughs> your mama's so fat, she uh, eats whales for whatever. I don't, I don't know any yo mama jokes. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's more like, that's what she said style. Yeah, but, but not that. Not sexual. We're not being crass. But, but more just like, Ben's like, oh, that snowman sure looks cold and there's coal all over it and jake's like are you talking about your your grandma (laughs) that kind of thing yeah uh, about on that level too (laughs) (laughs) no no i think i I think i gave it more (laughs) (laughs) you gave me some credit there (laughs) no 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 no, no. it's been great it's been hilarious it's good stuff but where were we i said we're you're asking about cocaine as if we wouldn't we'd be able to help you Pure cocaine. Yeah, well, I just, uh, we're going back to the source, the real, the like the Walter White stuff, the good stuff. This is real, meth. real Godzilla. I know, but you understand the metaphor that I'm trying to make here. I'm saying we're not getting some diluted, terrible product. We're getting the OG product. Mm-hmm. We're not watching a bad derivative. We're watching the masters of the form. Do it well. We're talking about Godzilla minus one. And if you're the kind of person that does not like big monster movies, then hold on to your horses, because I think this might be a movie for you, as we'll get into. Or if you're a person who does like big monster movies, I think it also might be a movie for you. I think this might be, you know, how like you stop seeing James, you see a few James Bond movies and you don't see them for a few years and you kind of fall out of love with the franchise. And then somebody says, actually, Skyfall's the one to see even if you don't like James Bond, It's that kind of thing. This is like a, a Godzilla movie that's so good. I, I'll just go ahead and say it. Just a good movie. It's just a good movie. And you can enjoy it whether you like Godzilla or not. If you just like good stories, then there's a high chance you like this movie. Anyway, that is a wonderful lead-in to us talking about our baggage with the franchise. It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can't hurt. I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. What baggage did you bring to your viewing of Godzilla minus one, Jacob? I did not grow up really with any monster movies. Like, this was not my thing. I do. Did think... you have any home movies of your mother? <laughs> <laughs> Got me. <laughs> I do think I did get around to seeing the Universal... Can we set a goal to have five more of those in this podcast, just at random intervals? <laughs> sure. About random family members of each other. Random anyway. family members of each other. Go ahead. All right. 
But I feel like since I'm the one talking, I can just give you fodder for all five. Well, at another point, Ben will be the one talking. <laughs> and then at another point, I'll be the one talking. So. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> Anyhow, I've never been a fan of fat, slow-moving, or old, hairy, ugly monsters. Ben's sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> but i i think i have accumulated all of the monster verse over the last however long it's been since they started doing them i like the american ones the kong skull island and the godzilla and the i don't know what other ones there are well there was Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I think I saw that one, yeah. Where it was really dark and he was fighting monsters in the ocean. Yep. And then there was yeah. Godzilla versus Kong, and it probably had some subtitle or something, but mm-hmm. Kong and Godzilla fought each other, as I recall, and maybe they went to the center of the earth and found some magical land of creatures or something. I don't know. At one point, they definitely end up in the center of the earth, that's for sure. They're huh. not very memorable movies. No, I don't remember much about them, except it was the sort of thing where it's like, Nobody's home. Amanda's at women's night or something like that. And the kids are in bed and I just want some dumb trash to put on. <laughs> and that's it. That's about all I bring to the table in terms of my history with it, with this genre or these movies, at least. Is there other baggage that you'd like to throw on the table at this time? Oh, I don't know. I, th- I just think it's just worth noting that we all should bring some level of something to the table when it comes to processing what we did to Japan. Yes. Well, for sure. I mean, I think that actually goes both ways, not to be a jingoist America, America, but what they did to us and what we did to Japan. Well, yeah, both. And it's interesting to see them process. It's interesting to see Japanese filmmakers in Godzilla processing what we deserved. Right. And which is not my way of thinking at all, but it's just really interesting Everything about the approach to the war and the cheapness of human life. And that's the sense of we brought Godzilla down on our own heads. Or did we? How much, even asking the question, how responsible are we for bringing Godzilla down on our own heads? Yeah, you can make the argument that the movie's pretty cheap and sort of in the same way that American movies often are, where we're just like, it was great when we went and conquered the West. All of our jingoistic, imperialistic worst impulses we're actually romantic and awesome. This is that you could make an argument that the movie is sort of that, because if you actually think about what happened with the Axis powers in Japan, it's like they were conquering China and then they were like, Hey, we should conquer the United States too. And launch a giant surprise attack. And like, there's a lot that wasn't admirable about, but this movie won't tell you anything about that quote. I'm afraid we've wakened a sleeping giant that we love to repeat. Because we're the sleeping giant. Right. We're the monster that came up out of the sea to destroy Japan because they came and provoked us, came and poked the bear. Um, mm-hmm. But anyhow, we, we I just, did then decimate their cities. Then we just, yeah, incinerated their women and children. Right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. Hey, Ra America. <laughs> Go us. Look at what we did. And now Japan's just like us. Yep. Anyway, yeah. Victory yeah. for Western civilization. It is worth bringing, it is worth mentioning that. Is, I just think this is the summer of o- Oppenheimer. So mm-hmm. it's probably not a coincidence that we get a true throwback Japanese 
classic Godzilla movie the same several months after we get the Oppenheimer movie. Winds just tend to blow in certain directions. Yeah. I mean, we live in unstable times. People are afraid of World War Three, So we're all, we all want to process World War Two. Yeah. And what was the character of the people that brought us into that war? And what was... And how did... What were the ramifications and what were the effects and what was the aftermath and how did we process picking up after it? and Who got killed it? and hurt and why? Well, Ben, what baggage did you bring to Godzilla? Like Jake, I didn't grow up with monster movies, and so I wasn't interested in King Kong or Godzilla or anything like that. And I think I saw King Kong once, like we talked about on our King Kong podcast, but I didn't care and never thought to seek them out. Didn't even see the 98 Godzilla, even though I loved sci-fi action stuff. I just had no interest in that movie. I don't know why. So I never saw it. And uh, let's see, what would have been the first Godzilla that I actually saw? Well, when was your birthday? (laughs) (laughs) How many is that? So you're saying when Ben came out of the womb, he looked up into the eyes of his mother, and that that was what he first... That was the joke. Okay. It was a very wow. mean one. I, just, I didn't know whether his birthday, like, he came into the world, so the world had a new big, ugly monster. Okay, I or, see, yeah. Like, there, were different, there were different interpretations. It was There's like a, a lot of interpretations. It's like a biblical text. Take your favorite. Yes. Um, Take your favorite, and then yeah. the one that wounds you the most. Right. Take that one. Um... <laughs> Oh, man. I saw the Gareth Edwards Godzilla. That actually might have been my first Godzilla movie. Was that 2014? Yeah. Which... I think it was my first. I think I, I didn't get to see it in theaters, which is a shame. I, don't I know, saw Maybe it... I saw the 98. I'm sure you probably I, I, did. I saw it on a TV that was kind of small and didn't have enough like brightness. <laughs> so it's already <laughs> a dark movie. So it's kind of a shame not to have seen that one on the big screen. But uh, that's, yeah, I guess that's my first one. So it's kind of seems kind of weird. Godzilla's been in the back of my brain forever because it's in everyone's brain. It's a thing. It's around. You know it exists. That's it. I think you should give the baggage that you love Japanese movies. Well, okay. Yeah, my baggage is I love Japanese movies. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm aware that they're always dealing with atomic devastation and the sadness of that and the horror and the fascination, too, with that technology. And they're always playing in their anime and their movies and stuff with this idea of what if we push technology too far and it destroys us and consumes us at the same time we're kind of addicted to technology and we kind of want to be consumed but at the same time it's horrible what it can do and a lot of evil can happen and they're always playing with the idea of coping with Horrible things that are beyond your control that you sort of had a hand in starting. Anyway, that's just a thing and attention in their in their movies and Godzilla obviously is that right. And they're they always cope. They ask very basic questions about honor, about what do you owe your society, uh, right. what do you owe your wife, what does your wife owe you, what do you owe guilt, what. And they're always processing the war. <clears throat> they have a deep collective sadness, which comes out in their art. I don't know that I wonder if the average Japanese has a feels like they have part of a deep collective sadness. I don't know that at all. All I know is movies. I've never been to Japan. I know like Grave of the Fireflies, which we've mentioned here, which is an anime that seeing it once is enough for a lifetime probably. It's just a very sad, heartbreaking anime about two children 
that and heartbreaking doesn't do it justice. It is an no. overwhelming emotional experience. It's, it's like it's like it's like just a Schindler's too, List or something. It's it's, it's too much. It's, it's, um, it's a lot. It's I mean maybe not. I don't mean too much. Like anyway, I just I don't plan to see it again. Yeah. But that one is about not atomic bombs exactly right. Am I misremembering? It's about there's a lot of firebombing that happens. Yeah, it's just about the kids okay. trying to survive and the as as America brutally bombs the crap out of the, their towns well, and the countryside. But, but what's interesting about it is it's especially about the betrayal of Japanese citizens of their own citizens. So it's about how no one will take in these kids who are orphaned by firebombing and the collective guilt. Like these kids start the movie as ghosts in a modern subway station and then you see their story. Well, and part of their story is like they they go and stay with their aunt and then food's getting short and she wants the food for her kids. And it's it's like those so kinds she, of so scenes and considerations that are it's just awful. It, so it makes you feel this sense of that Japan is always processing things collectively in a way that we don't as Americans. And you feel that sense of what is our honor and shame as a society? What responsibility do we have to the collective Japan? You Japan's going to be able way. to have... And maintain and hold on to much more of a national identity than America's ever been. Just because they're a tiny little island. They're a tiny a... little island. <laughs> and, so, and they have a culture that goes back millennia. Yep. And they've been isolated and they're small. And it's, so it's like, well, yeah. if the state of Indiana, I don't know how the state of Indiana actually compares <laughs> geographical size to Japan, but if the state of Indiana had a millennia, several millennia of history. Right. In a sense of... Indiana is who we are, then maybe we could get there. But we're such a young country of that's constantly changing and being added to by people from every <clears throat> culture in the world. Yeah, we're we're the anomaly, right? We really are, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have so little <laughs> sense of national identity, many of us, and so little sense of natural natural history, actually. I mean, we think we do. We all know George Washington and the cherry tree, but it's like we've got two hundred years. Yeah. Of history. We don't have. And now we have Hamilton. And now we have Hamilton. <laughs> I was yeah. <laughs> Hamilton's the beginning, some of the beginnings of processing that sort of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And somebody might be like, well, haven't you seen all the other movies about Abraham Lincoln and Gettysburg and all the, all the other stuff? It's just like, it's just so young. It's, still, it's all so new. We just really are still in the early stages of processing who we are. We might fall before we ever find out. Well, and also our whole national identity, insofar as we have one, is founded on shove off King George. So I, as an American citizen, don't actually identify myself with the ruling regime in the way that many other people groups do. And so one thing that you'll see in many different cultures, films or art, and certainly in Japanese art, is they're processing their relationship with the government. And we saw this in Roroni Kenshin, like the whole thing is yep. just like this government did this, but we were, we wanted to usher in this government that was going to do this, but then this government betrayed us. It's just always that kind of thing. And it's not that, you know, every Jason Bourne movie isn't also that. I'm not Yeah, but how, how much of this Godzilla movie is just about Hirohito? Right. Like you could say all of it. You really could. Right. I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I guess that, that leads into my baggage. I like Ben enjoy Japanese art and culture and anime and stuff like that. Obviously, we, so we said it before, it goes without saying, I suppose, but maybe it doesn't go out without saying in case some idiot's listening. It's A lot of it's very depraved. Don't just grab an anime off the shelf at Barnes & Noble. You nope. might get some sex or some monster sex or something. So, yeah, weird pagan culture. 
but I do enjoy their movies and I enjoy the fact that they are able, as well, I'm sure we'll talk about in this movie, to process simple truths about life that are Cultural processing has largely left behind things like man, woman, things like honor, things like duty. They can, they're not embarrassed the way we are to just talk about those things and evoke those things. And that's part of what makes this movie in particular very powerful. It was also part of what made Veroni Kenshin powerful in its silly little way in between its action scenes. Mm-hmm. I, unlike you guys, did grow up with all these movies, loved King Kong. I love giant monsters. I think they're so rarely done. I do not like most of the monster-verse stuff. Gareth Edwards' thing was really great because, I mean, the human drama sucked, but the monster stuff was great because it was, he just knew how to put a camera on the ground and shoot through telephone lines, shoot up through vistas that we're used to, like an airport window looking out onto the tarmac. And so when you saw the monsters out there, it really evoked a feeling of awe. Whereas you compare that to one of the later ones, Godzilla versus Kong, and it's just these big CGI shots of the monsters running around punching each other, and there's nothing to give it scale. And it's like you see a photograph of a humpback whale or something, and you're like, oh, that's cool, I guess. And then you see a photograph of a humpback whale next to a diver, and you're suddenly really impressed with the magnitude. It's just simple, you know, the kind of stuff that a Steven Spielberg, to take the obvious example, has in his bones. Like, how do you give something weight? How do you give it scale? How do you make it feel big i love monster movies when they do that sort of thing well but it's rare so even something as dumb and popcorn as independence day i actually think is a pretty well done monster movie it's not exactly a monster movie but you know like it has you feel the scale that he's blowing up uh, in a way that many modern cgi spectacle movies just don't do including independence day part two you feel like this is what it would be like to be in Chicago or New York with the flames sweeping down and the ship overhead and like that kind of. The Empire State Building's going to explode and cars are going to go flying as they hurtle towards you. Right. Yeah. And you're in the, you're in the scape. It's all really visceral and really powerful. And you just mm-hmm. like, not to beat up on Marvel, but there's such an easy comparison point. Rarely do you feel that. I think the Battle of New York actually in the first Avengers movie is one of the better ones where you're like, you're on the ground with mm-hmm. stuff looming over you and it feels a little bit more visceral. You spend a lot of time with Clint in that movie, actually. Right. Exactly. Which is a really smart choice because he's the one guy who's just like you. Right. Yeah. You compare that to the big battle in Endgame where they're just on this purple kind of yeah, hellscape I, and this is like there's nothing to relate to or nothing like, really registers right so but i i love these kinds of movies when they're done well i i grew up with and particularly loved the king kong the original 1930s king kong movie which i made ben watch on this very podcast while jake was on sabbatical and it's a great movie and you i think you agreed that it was a pretty great yeah, movie it was i mean the spectacle and I stuff fun. still like the action and everything actually works in a weird i mean you yeah, I was surprised hearing Ben talk about it because my yeah. I would have approached it with the same sort of assumption that I'll understand, I'll come away understanding what's truly great about this and why it made its mark and why it mattered. But I'll probably be bored with it. It's actually a lot like a Gareth Edwards Godzilla in that the human drama is wooden and sucks. And But the glorious thing about old sucky wooden human drama is that you can really make fun of it in a way that like you can just chuckle at. It's still kind of fun yeah. in that sense. It's fun to be like, oh, that's what bad screenwriting was like 100 years ago. You know, you can have more <laughs> fun with it than you can with modern bad screenwriting. I'm sure in 100 years, everybody will have fun mocking the what seems so hammy about Gareth Edwards Godzilla. But the, then the 
the actual monster fights and stuff are just so fun. And it's so generous with its monsters and its action and its jungle scapes and it's all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so I love monster movies. I haven't seen a ton of the Toho Godzilla movies, but I have seen the original a number of times, 1954 one. And it, it is a sad a movie about processing the Hiroshima and stuff like that. It's not. It's not just a silly monster beat up kind of Power Rangers type thing like many people think of. The series did That's what get, I think of. I mean, the series did get very silly. And now you'll, you know, if you're on your little GIF search thing, you'll come across memes of Godzilla, you know, riding his tail or doing pile drives or just like the most <laughs> ridiculous or fighting other guys in rubber suits. And those movies all have their charms. But um, the original Godzilla actually was a powerful movie. And just in the same way that, the original James Bond movies really were about something. And then you had an era of Roger Moore and everything like that, just being silly. And then you got Moonraker, he's up in space and stuff. And then at a certain point, Daniel Craig comes back and grounds this. There's, there's been a movement in Toho and in the Japanese studios to ground these movies more. And this is the ultimate expression of that. But I think, do you have con- some context for us, Ben? I do. All right. Well, I that, I, let me not step on it. Let me bring us into, uh, I think I said my baggage. Yeah. I'm not like a huge, like I said, I did not, I had to look up all the little cute reference points for Godzilla, but I knew enough to sense when one of them was happening maybe right. better than a total noob would, but it's not like I recognize, like this uses all the iconic beats from the original Godzilla score and you can kind of tell, but you know, I didn't just know it like, oh, it's the score. You know, like mm-hmm. a certain kind of person would have been like, that's the good. Because it comes in right at the very end. That's the Godzilla theme. Whoa. Right. You that know. shot is a one for one or almost one for one shot of this or that. Right. The very, Which I know exists because somebody, I saw some thread with some of that. Yeah. This this movie is made for Godzilla fans by Godzilla fans. It's one of those kinds of things. It's like a Skyfall or a Casino Royale or something. But <clears throat> Anyway, and, and we're not in a position to appreciate it like certain people would be. But I'll tell you what will make us appreciate it is a little bit more context. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. You may think you know what you're dealing with, but believe me, you don't. All right. Gojira is a 1954 Japanese movie directed and co-written by Ishiro Honda. So Honda made a lot of Godzilla movies in his career, like a ton. I mean, he was he took it from that grounded, sad, this is the atomic bomb, this is a metaphor, it's all a metaphor for the atomic bomb. We hate America, or it's complicated, we hate ourselves too, maybe. Anyway, he took it from that to lots of guys in rubber suits pounding each other. <laughs> he I mean he made movies for a long time. He made he made oh how many movies? Where did it go? I thought I had it right here. He made a lot. Um, there we go. No, there we don't go. Sorry. Well, Godzilla himself has made 33 Japanese movies and five American movies. So, and a bunch of those were this guy, Honda. Just a word about him. He's a close friend of Akira Kurosawa. He had a heavily Buddhist background. His dad and granddad were Buddhist monks. Take that for what it's worth. I'll come back to the kind of religious aspect of Godzilla in a second, which Gareth Edwards brought out in his reverent treatment of Godzilla, a more Japanese-style treatment than anything like you get in the 98 Roland Emmerich joint. But Honda liked science. He liked martial arts. He saw some military service. He was drafted in 1934 and had active duty in 1935. And then 
1936, his superior was the one to launch a coup against the civilian government in something called the February 26th incident. Did not succeed, but they did kill several leading officials, including two former prime ministers. So like Nathan was saying earlier, this like government versus government thing, man, that is a big part of even current Japan. Think of the assassination of Shinzo Abe just last year. That kind of, what's the right word for it? That kind of tumult or whatever, that's still going on. They still process that stuff. All right. So Gojira, they joke that the name came from a portmanteau of Japanese words for gorilla and whale. Gorilla (laughs) for gorilla. And then Kujira, I think, for whale. Well, actually, they claim this. Like Honda used to claim this and the producers used to claim this. And Honda's wife was like, no, that's just a joke. No one knows where it came from. Anyway, maybe it was a portmanteau. But apparently Honda got the idea. Now, this is where this I did not expect to find. And this is what I think is really fun. It's that Honda got the idea for this movie from an American movie made in 1953 with effects by Harryhausen called The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. And I watched the original theatrical trailer and I was like, I love this. Is that the one about the big lizard that menaces the city? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fun movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... It's an atomic monster movie. He's a dinosaur. He's released by an atomic bomb test in the Arctic. Mm. And originally he was going to have nuclear flame breath, but he didn't. But they got, Gojira took that. They took that idea. So it's just bizarre that an American movie inspired this very Japanese property, which we think of only as a Japanese property. And it's also just odd that this American movie was directed by a Russian-born French director who directed three of these dinosaur kind of movies. That's weird, too. A guy named Eugene Laurie. And if you watch the original trailer, you'll see that some of it actually looks pretty cool. But boy, is it on the nose. The original, I think the original trailer is just masterful. I had never heard of this movie. But it's all like, what if there are things that we weren't meant to know? What if our technology awakens things we shouldn't awaken? What if? You know, that kind of trailer. And that is certainly part of Gojira part of the Japanese take on it. They were letting us know about Antarctica, man. Yeah. They were letting us know all the way back in 1930. 19, 1954. Yeah, 53. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were letting us know the truth. the truth. Just like the new Godzilla Kong stuff's letting us know the truth about the hollow earth. The hollow earth. You get there through Antarctica, I hear. Antarctica, Antarctica, Antarctica. That's what, <laughs> that's, that's what the trailer does over and over. <laughs> I loved it. It's like, this is awesome. It was so, so on the nose. But in any case, it's Gojira that established certain genres you may have heard of in Japanese film. Well, one of them you, you might have heard of the other, right? Only if you're a real nerd for this kind of stuff. Kaiju. Kaiju genre is like the giant monster genre. And so, you know, the most high-profile American take aside from Gareth Edwards' Godzilla would be, of course, Pacific Rim by Guillermo del Toro, which is not a good movie. It's kind of fun, sort of. It's not a good movie. And then the Tokusatsu movie, which I bet you guys have not heard of that. Maybe Nathan has. Tokusatsu. Tokusatsu. It means a special effects movie. So God's, And think of guys in rubber suits pounding each other. It's like practical effects. So that's a big kind of genre. You don't have to have giant monsters to have that. But you often you do. So like I said, this guy was a good friend of Kurosawa. And he also directed some dramas and things. And like some romantic comedies and things. As well as monster movies upon monster movies. I mean, he, he, 
the last Godzilla movie he made was 1975. So he was making these movies for a long time. He retired, but then Kurosawa brought him out of retirement to help him make his last five movies. So movies like Kagemusha, Ron, Dreams, Rhapsody in August, and Maladayo, none of which I've actually seen. It made me realize, you know what? I haven't seen a lot of Kurosawa movies either. They had the same mentor, this director named Kajiro Yamamoto, who made over 90 films from 1924 to 1967. And I looked over his movies and I was familiar with nothing. So he's, this guy's mostly Yamamoto, is important for being the mentor of Kurosawa and I guess Honda too. So an, another thing that I thought was interesting was the way that this 1954 movie became a 1956 American movie. Right. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And it was not a remake. It was an Americanization. They added footage. They re-edited. They introduced Raymond Burr as an American character, a course foreign correspondent who was there in Tokyo or whatever, witnessing the devastation. And they added a Japanese character who explained things to him as they were happening, which limited subtitling that you had to do of original footage and scenes. So it's this crazy thing. And they did it with several movies. I don't know how many. So just so you're tracking, listener... Honda takes this monster idea from an American movie, right? Or the producers do. They bring it into Japan. It was already a metaphor for, like, awakening things you shouldn't because of your science and the atomic bomb. But then in, in the Japanese cinema, it's more directly a metaphor for the atomic bomb itself and its effects. Citywide destruction, radiation, an enemy that wants to hurt you, an enemy created by your enemy, the Americans, right? And the Americans are the bad guys who created this monster, that's now terrorizing Japan. But then when you Americanize it, you can't do that. And remember, this is 1956 when this movie comes out. It's only 13 years after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Japan is not popular. You do not portray the Japanese sympathetically. But as soon as you bring Gojira into America and make it Godzilla, you begin to portray Japanese sympathetically. You have American-Japanese crossover. You have this American reporter who's sympathetic to what's happening. And so... You take out the anti-American sort of bias, and you and instead of having Gojira be just created by this atomic bomb, basically, you have him awakened by the atomic bomb, like in The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. So America re-symbolizes it a little, <laughs> right? And it becomes a symbol of things that America was already worried about, already thinking about as they advance technologically, which we've had in our movies for a long time, which we have in Jurassic Park, another big lizard movie, and then you have this sympathetic take on Japan. Uh, from what I understand, having seen neither version, Gojira is more focused like on the monster. You just watch the monster for a long time progress in advance, and like Nathan says, it's allowed to be a sad, sort of depressing movie. Yeah, it is. But the American movie is more focused on the destruction. It slowly builds to the monster. Finally, there he is, but you see all the destruction. And so... America lets it be a little more neutral, if you like, or just a symbol of technology gone awry or whatever. It's and, been decades since I've seen them. But what I remember about the Japanese version is that the, there's this very sad scientist who I think has to sacrifice himself in order to destroy Godzilla. And that's kind of the emotional core of the movie. And then the American is like, uh, it's Raymond Burr, and he's going around right. and he's asking questions. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, we suck. <laughs> it does sound like it sucks, but it's, all, it's just interesting. I mean, it's fun. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, sure. But it's very corny. Yeah. Honda directed 46 movies. That's what I was trying to find. 46 movies. I wanted to read you something just as I wrap up here 
that I found. It was this interview with one of the, with a probably still living producer of Godzilla movies named Shugo Tomiyama from this site that doesn't exist anymore, I don't think, called Penny Blood. And this is about, well, you'll hear what it's about. I'm just going to start reading. So here's Tomiyama in response to some question. Actually, the question originally was, hey, why doesn't Godzilla eat people? Why doesn't Godzilla eat people? Which apparently was something that they, that they threw around when they were originally making Gojira. And they were like, no, he's not that kind of monster. He, does, he's not, he doesn't need to eat people. He's not interested in eating people. So here's the guy responding. Godzilla doesn't want to destroy human bodies. He wants to destroy human civilization. It's true that originally Godzilla did come to Japan to eat livestock, but Toho Pictures soon realized that they'd have to reconsider how Godzilla existed if they were going to expand the film into a series. The company needed to decide whether Godzilla was a living, breathing creature or something else. The decision was made to make Godzilla something else. He was much more than just a large creature that went around eating livestock. Penny blood. So you're saying he's godlike. Tomiyama, closer to that. Yes, Godzilla is closer to being a god. He's not just a living animal or a monster. Penny blood. That's why the Japanese refer to Godzilla as a kaiju instead of a monster. He's more of a mystical creature. Then would you consider Godzilla to be a good or bad god? Tomiyama. The fact is that humans cannot control or judge the gods. They have their own will. They have their own way. In Japan, there are many gods. There is a god of destruction. He totally destroys everything, and then there is a rebirth. Something new and fresh can begin. Godzilla is closer to being that kind of god. So that's very Shinto. Yeah. There's all these spirits around. It's kind of like you're almost, in talking about the spirits, you're talking about the nature of reality, sort of. But this idea that there's a rebirth, this idea also in Shintoism of pollution, like guilt as a kind of pollution that you have to cleanse yourself of, and death as a kind of pollution you have to cleanse yourself of. And, you, and so... Part of it can be that there's destruction and then a rebirth. That kind of stuff feeds into the Godzilla mythology and it feeds into the movie we're going to talk about today, I think, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the interesting thing about the, the thing that I love about monsters in general is that they are such a mirror to whatever culture, whatever thing is going on at the time. They're so malleable. And so a vampire is very scary in Victorian times. And then he becomes a lover and the 1980s and hmm. like the arc it, 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 it doesn't always have to stand for one thing it stands right. for what people want it to stand for and so godzilla is a perfect example of that because you can watch random godzilla movies you throw a dart at a godzilla movie you might get one where he's a hero and we're just like yes mm-hmm. godzilla is coming to defeat this terrible other monster or you might get right. one where godzilla is a villain where he's a force of malevolence where he's actively bad or you might get one where he's just this neutral sort of beyond force. I think I think in the more mature Godzilla movies, what you're going to get is that he's a force of nature. He's a force of fate. He's right. this godlike sort of thing. He's not ultimately actually all that interested in humans one way or another. He just he's going to do his Godzilla thing and it's right. going to be right. destructive to us. You happen to be in his territory and he's not going to stand for that. So too bad, you know. Right. Well, okay. Any other context? Oh, the only other thing is they actually, they talk a little bit about the 98 version of the monster. And the guy's just like, no, that's cool. I wasn't, we weren't offended at all that they made him so different, but it's not the same thing at all. They made him, yeah. Hollywood's Godzilla is just a normal monster. He's not a god. Hollywood treated Godzilla as a live monster, a live animal. They shot him down with missiles and all that. So the guy's just like, yeah, just a different kind of thing. Yeah. 
Well, there you go. He should be more judgmental. It was done. Right. <laughs> it was done. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could talk a little bit about this. Just the Takashi Yamakaze is the director oh, of the yeah. movie we we're talking about today. I was going to mention. Yeah. Sorry before you. I realized going looking at his movies. I've actually I've saw one of them years ago. What's that? It's called Returner. It's a silly Japanese sci-fi action movie. It was quite fun at the time. I don't know if it holds up. I in my brain it was a Hong Kong movie because that's the kind of movie it is, like a silly Hong Kong action movie. But, right. But then I was like, oh yeah, I know who this guy is. I and it made me want to watch some more of his movies. Oh, I might have seen that too. That looks really familiar. It has some Matrix ripoff style gunfights, yeah, yeah, and it has yeah. a really silly derivative sci-fi alien time travel plot. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff going on, but it was pretty fun anyway. It was like forgivably dumb. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing to know about this guy is that he started in special effects. He was very influenced by Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Spielberg joints and you know the 70s kind of stuff and worked his way up. And he's obviously a great special effects director and i don't know he's done like a bunch of anime adaptation mm-hmm. and like he's good at giving a certain weight to these kinds of silly pop culture things the other thing we should mention is that our leading man we have encountered him before he played the character of psychopath guy fun psychopath got youthful dude with glasses in roni kenshin what's his name what's the name of this the character in oh I had he's, it yesterday. He is, he is the best character in, in the in the Roroni Kenshin franchise. He's my favorite character. Oh, is he? I didn't know that. Um, Sojiro. Seita Sojiro. Seita Sojiro is the actor or the... That's the character. Yeah. That's the character. And the actor is... Again, I could have pulled this yesterday because I was reading all about him. The actor is... Dun, dun, dun. Oh, I lost him. Ryanosuke Kamiki. Be great in in Kenshin. He's, uh, he's he, great, yeah. he does my favorite thing where he starts as a villain and then becomes an ally. I always like that in yeah yep, movies. Yep. He was super fun. Yeah, yeah. He has that great little finale scene alongside Kenshin in the Inferno movie or whatever. Yeah, where they they bring him in to fight Kenshin, and you're like, oh man, one Again? of Kenshin's great enemies is back, and then he's either reformed no, just or just the two bored of them by the bad guy versus guys. everybody. Yeah, yeah it's it's a, it's a really nice curtain call for a fan favorite kind of a character really fun those movies are great but i'll tell you what else is great is the the ability of people to hear our point of view on godzilla minus one luke you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view new fantastic point of view good as a point of view anyway jake what is your new fantastic point of view on godzilla minus one I don't know how new it is or how fantastic it is. It's a really great movie. It was a lot of fun. It had something to say. It had a point of view it, of its own. It was yep. willing to actually ask some big questions, which is rare in a movie, especially a action thriller. And Kind of like, huh, your mother. Wait, his mother likes to ask questions? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> She has a point of view. <laughs> she does. <laughs> Just All wanted right. to get in on the action. We got, we got three to go. <laughs> We've only got two? We had five. I don't know. I mean, we needed five from the point that we'd already done some. So maybe, okay. maybe my math's off. I think we only need two. Okay. I think we're okay. Just like your mom only needs two sons and neither of them's you. <laughs> 
Great. <laughs> All right. One to, get, one, one to go. <laughs> we are roasting each other today. Oh, man. All right. Uh. <laughs> well, I like the part where the large, toxic, <laughs> oversized... <laughs> Fat, slow-moving lizard monster creature. <laughs> yes. Oh. What would you like about that? He's talking about Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm talking about your mom. All right, let's go. <laughs> now can we be done? <laughs> now we're done. All right. <laughs> the circle of vengeance has only hurt all of us. <laughs> I like. What, one of the things I loved about the movie actually was how much of it was broad daylight and open ocean. And yeah. It's just like we're not going to mask everything under yeah. night and rain. And this is a lot of fun. Really great story, great characters, great development of the story over the good questions being. I just thought it was a really worthwhile movie. And you can't say that about many movies. No. No. I would agree with everything you said, only I would Turn up the heat. I, I don't. I thought this was a masterpiece. Ten out of ten. Great movie. Nearly flawless. The heart, the feel good film of the Christmas season. Almost. I mean, I mean, it's actually pretty feel bad for most of its runtime. But, but <laughs> not by the end. It's got I mean, a, all the setups are there. So it was like, I mean, you knew what was going to happen, but they all paid off really well, and it was really great. Well, unlike with American movies, I actually did feel some genuine suspense because I'm like, they're capable of just making this everybody story dies. suck and i don't want to necessarily spoil it but i thought it was really nice the way that where the story went and it was it was just a really effective melodrama may have jerked a tear or two out of nathan's cynical tear ducts and or three or four and the, the action was great the godzilla stuff was it had exactly the right right amount of Godzilla. The way that it was shot was really nice. Like you could tell this guy knew where to put a camera to to shoot a Godzilla or to shoot a train or getting destroyed or like the destruction of the big city in the middle of the movie was genuinely pretty exciting and awe inspiring in a way that yeah. these movies aren't. Some really good suspense when they're out on the mine boat, mining boat. Yeah, yeah, and it just had a likable cast of characters that that you grew very fond of and an engaging human drama it's always a shame when you watch a movie like this because you're like why can't there be 50 of these like what obviously it's doing something very difficult and it's making it look easy which is what a great piece of entertainment does but also you're sort of like why isn't it a little bit easier like why can't the disney corporation make a few of these movies a year that just have really relatable stories with universal human emotions and Big spectacle done. If you have all the money in the world, you ought to be able to pay enough good screenwriters and technicians. One-fifteenth the budget of the Marvels, they say. Yeah, That's one of the big amazing. talking points for this movie is that it cost $15 million, which, you know, it looks just as spectacular as a $100 million Hollywood movie. Now, people will also say 15 buy a lot more in Japan with their labor laws, and, you know, there's there's political reasons why they were able to you think that artists are treated poorly in the Marvel special effects industry, then wait till you hear about the Japanese special effects industry. So there's that. 
he wouldn't actually be able to come here and make the same movie for fifteen million dollars. Like that's not that's not it's not a one to one kind of thing. But it is. I mean, you can see like that they don't have the same amount of money. The special effects actually aren't as good as a modern American movie. But his ability to know where to put the camera mm-hmm. and how to shoot those special effects and when to use them and how to deploy them in ways that are emotionally engaging certainly makes it feel like a a better spectacle than yeah, it does. your Absolutely. average 100, 200 million American movie. Yeah, definitely. Yep, it definitely made me cry. It's mainly a drama about guilt and being a father and a husband. I don't know. It just it did all that really effectively. It reminded me of the trick that I like in samurai movies that I like, which is a lot of them, which is here's a scene of domestic life. It's just going to feel like normal life, and it's going to evoke all the things that you might have felt yourself. Although, you know, you have to take it away from a Japanese context. But something about the way that they interact and the formality of Japanese interactions inside a house actually lets you capture, oh, yeah, this guy loves his wife. This guy loves his daughter. This is hard to talk about. We're just having a cup of tea. But you just told me all about their emotional lives. And it only took you 30 seconds, and you didn't belabor it, but you made me feel sad, or you made me feel happy, or you made me remember, like, oh, yeah, I have a kid, too. That's how I love them. That's how I would feel if X or Y. And it can just do all these things that American movies don't really do anymore. Or if they do, maybe it's, like, in an Oscar bait context. It's like they're just trying to, they're just over, they're just belaboring something dramatic instead of, just putting it on the screen for you. I don't know how to describe it. Help me out here. Well, I don't want to be super anti-woke, whatever. It's just kind of boring. But it is true that the big Disney machine at this point cannot truck in basic human emotions. Like, they they are not allowed to just portray man and wife. Yeah. Or I love my kid. Or, like, they always have to have higher political aspirations than that. And so you don't get those basic kind of human, universally relatable setups as much in, I mean, you can't just have a princess fall in love with a prince in the latest wish thing. Like you're just not allowed to do some of the most basic things. And so the Japanese are weird, almost for, by our standards, weirdly unashamed to, in this particular movie, to just do that stuff to and, and to not like throw in token, like, well, the woman actually, she can fight Godzilla too. You know, let's at least put one scene in there so we can all feel like she's not a total loser. So there's that side of it. But I also think there's something nicely understated about it. Like it's not, I was imagining the way that Michael, ba- I mean, Michael Bay is a stupid example because he would just suck. But Nolan, I don't know. Take, sure. your fa- take your favorite American populist director, the way that they would milk some of the emotions, the way that they yeah. would go over the top, yeah, the flashbacks right. that they would pile on, the... And it's not that this movie's by any stretch like subtle. No. <laughs> it's very broad and melodramatic. But it's like in the DNA of the way that they're going to shoot a domestic scene to be what we might call subtle. Right. I mean, it felt subtle. So, for example, without going into too many spoilers, there's like a big sacrifice scene in this movie. And the way that you'd imagine an American doing it is like the person's running to make the sacrifice or whatever. And then when we flash back to this, we flash back to that. We crank up the music. We flash back to this. We fl- And we string the whole thing out for about five minutes. This movie does it in about 30 seconds. You know, it's just, it's not that the moment itself isn't a little bit melodramatic or over the top. Or, sure. And we're going to cut the music out. Right. We're going to, yeah. 
It's so smart with its music. This movie does not like rub your nose in the emotion it wants you to feel. It'll be like silent. The score is like silent at a lot of important points. Yeah. And then it'll kick in, and that gives the contrast, makes it that much more effective when it kicks in. Uh, It is true. I always wonder this about watching subtitled films. Maybe for them, this actually does feel a little corny because they don't, they're not sort of (coughs) at one step removed from it. It may be that we actually lend it extra dignity <coughs> because we're not seeing the performances in our native language. You know, it's like we're this is this has a certain iconography and weight to it that for them it wouldn't necessarily have. I don't know whether that's true or not. I've just often wondered that. I watch a lot of these kinds of movies and I'm like, you know, even something in you know, these action melodramas that feel a little bit deeper and I'm like, well, maybe they actually don't feel as deep when you're when people are just saying it in your native language. But it doesn't matter. I mean, whether that's true or not. The net effect for me is that it was a very well calibrated movie, and I think I think that it was artfully done. I'm not trying to take that away from it. What other thoughts do you guys have about Godzilla minus one? Liked it a lot. Would show it to my wife because it works as not a monster movie. I mean, it works in the way you would hope a monster movie would work, which is it's about people. And also, there's a cool monster. The weird thing about that Garth Edwards one is that it actually starts with a fairly engaging human story with Brian Cranston. I vaguely remember this. And then it kills him off like 40 minutes in, and then the rest is just like... Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron Taylor Johnson is is boring. And Elizabeth Olsen is not a star, so we don't give her anything to do. Yeah, it's too bad. Gareth Edwards wants... Gareth Edwards likes monsters better than people. Yes. That's kind of his deal. His precursor, Godzilla, that got him that was this indie movie that I think he tries to make the human story interesting, but boy, is it an unengaging human story. What's interesting is the monsters and the whole feeling of the movie is that actually the monsters are interesting and the humans are not. He did Rogue One and gave us a monster that looms over the whole movie and doesn't make an appearance to the end of the human interest story and its job is to annihilate the human interest story. The yeah. monster of Darth Vader or the monster of the Death, the Star? Death Star? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. And he was more successful. Darth Vader's with... just a postscript. He did some human interest stuff well in that movie. It was uneven as I remember it, but I've only seen it once. At the same time, though, he's he is good at that kind of iconography of, wow, I really he's feel like good. the Death Star is looming over me right now. I, feel, I really feel like Darth Vader is scary again. Like that, just that sort of. Yeah, he has. In terms gift. of iconography, it is the, it's the best Star Wars movie that there is. I think that's true. Just you're going to get that opening scenes, you know, flying over fallen statues and be really beautifully shot, you know, have sort of a World War II invasion scene, but with stormtroopers and palm branches and it's a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. Well, it feels a particular, it actually feels like this movie because it's, it has that Pacific Island feeling to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The ultimate place that they go to do their heist or whatever. Yeah. Now, Jake, you brought two boys to this film. Ages what and what? 11 and 12, I think. 11 and 12. Was this their first subtitled film? No. Surely not. Surely not, too, but I wonder what other subtitled films they would have watched. Well, Ian watched Ran. That was subtitled. That is is subtitled. (laughs) I don't know. I just am sure that there are others that we've watched. I just can't. Pull them off the top of my head. Well, how was it watching the movie with them, and what were their what was their reaction? They liked it. They had a lot of fun. It was really hard to gauge how much this would be the kind of 
thing that I have done now with just Ian multiple times, but I took Ian and Abe. And so, and Abe's younger than Ian. So, and I would have taken Peter too, but he was at work and his work schedule just didn't line up with any available showings because they're all afternoon. Nothing started till one and the last showing was at seven and he works one to eight or two to eight. And so there's just not, unless we went to like a 1050 or something like that, which we're not going to do. But anyhow, Abe was just afterwards really excited to let us all know that he too watched a movie and has cool insights like his brother Ian. And so he was just talking the whole way home. So I think they both really enjoyed it and had fun with it. Yeah. But no, no special great, you know, insight or anything like this. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, monster movies. Cool. That was neat. Yay. We got to go see a movie with dad in theaters. <laughs> it was Japanese. That was kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ian did not appreciate the monster design at all. But I think that's a uh, lack of context. So he's like, I don't know. I'd, why would you make your monster look like Bowser and then have him move like a man in a suit? <laughs> well, I've got some news for you. Um, <laughs> it's like slow and awkward. And there have been 34 of these movies. <laughs> they looked like Bowser and then a guy and then. Well, he does have context. His context is Jurassic Park, and right, those exactly. monsters are sleek and fast and right. not lumbering. Godzilla is like the iconic lumbering monster. That's what he does. That's what he's known for. Jurassic Park was a very intentional course correction or deviation from that. Like our our we are in Jurassic Park really is the standard of all monster movies for him in particular. It's what he judges everything by. I showed him Jaws, and he's disappointed with Jaws because it doesn't evoke the wonder that Jurassic Park did. So it's just, that is the key touchstone right. for him. Yeah. Then that makes total sense. Jurassic Park is Spielberg being like, I grew up with lumbering monsters, and that's the one thing that I'm not going to do. These Let's monsters. do the cool one. These monsters are going to be sleek, streamlined, fast. Yeah. And yeah, so I could, I could see. But one day, perhaps, he will learn. Yeah. One thing I liked about this movie is how well it evokes the devastation of war. Mm-hmm. Japanese are good at that. but. You feel, I don't know, the, the line between what the monster symbolizes and the monster itself gets really thin at places. Mm. It's like, this monster just is the devastation of war, especially nuclear war. The scene where he destroys the city, or most of it, it was just super effective in not making you feel like, oh, this is a monster movie where he destroys things and it's too bad. It's kind of fun. It, no, it feels more like, this is a horrible tragedy how would I feel if my city were ravaged by war? War is awful. You lose people you love in war. I don't ever want to go through war. That's what I felt watching that scene. And most movies of this kind don't do that for you. Yeah. Well, I guess we should say... A special. Just to, just to, if anybody's listening to this to decide whether to see the movie, they should understand it is a very somber film. I think it's a good... I think it's a great movie. I, I love it. I highly recommend it. Bring, bring the whole family. But that's me, being, <laughs> that's me being silly. Bring people that can appreciate a somber PG-13-ish movie. But but it is the story of a kamikaze pilot who wimps out, who decides not to kill himself, who dishonors himself, and it's feels like he should have died, and then feels like he wimped out and didn't pull the trigger on Godzilla at a certain point. When um, Godzilla was still young and small and killable. Right, and mm-hmm. Godzilla killed this whole... Barracks. So it's like mm-hmm. his trauma, and then he falls in with a woman and with a child, and he can't. And there's really painful scenes of their desire for him to be the father and husband that 
he should be to them, that he effectively is to them, but that she's actually his mistress. Right. She, he won't actually marry her. He won't let the kid call him daddy. But he, but he is the paternal father figure who provides for the family and is going to be jealous, mm-hmm. upset when the woman goes and gets a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't I provide enough for you? I risk mm-hmm. my life. And she's like, I, I, well, I have to, it's time I look for myself. And, you and know, I want you to be able to find a wife at this rate. You know, you'll never get married providing, giving all this money to me. And it's just yeah. a dagger blow of, dude, she wants you. Just marry me. That's, that's what she's like, saying. That's, that's the kind of she's thing. She's saying, do you really want me to go? Is this really what you want? Like, you should. Hey, I'm going. One foot out the door. <laughs> hey. Just, please, please stop me. Please stop me. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean when I'm like, Disney cannot. Is, is, is not a matter of woke or anything else. It's like they just, well, it is a matter of woke, I guess, but there's got to be a better word for it. It's like that's such a simple, basic, understandable human drama. We've all, to some degree, been there with our wives or with our girlfriends or whatever, and our wives or girlfriends have been in that spot of like, I'm doing a thing. Don't you want to like love me? Don't you want to lead me? Don't you want – and it's just a very basic human situation amped up to melodrama but you just don't see those kinds of basic situations as much and certainly in like big entertainments um in hollywood so it's really the kids not even hers either or theirs right they're just a found family of people like they're all their real family members have been destroyed just decimated in the in the war somebody handed the kid to this woman who was dying and was like take care of my baby and she couldn't abandon the baby, and then they found him, and he couldn't abandon them, and they just sort of fell in together. And that's it. And it was while he was coming back to his hometown, and mom and dad and everybody are dead, and his sister is like, it's your fault. It's cowards like you who came back when you shouldn't have come back. Right. And then you also have him being on this boat whose job it is to... What to disarm mines? They're minesweepers. Minesweepers, yeah, planted by the Americans and the Japanese, mm-hmm. and so they're doing this very dangerous job. And he's got this wonderful kind of prime era Spielbergian group of misfits, misfits and friends and archetypes, all very well evoked. You know, the wise old scientist dude and the kind of body captain and the kid. You know, the guy that just wants to. He's green, but he really. You got the captain who is an actual Navy captain, and you got the guy who is like the arm special for mm-hmm. the Navy. And then you've got him, the former kamikaze pilot. And it is like out of an anime cartoon or something yeah, like that. Absolutely. But it's also just like, we're just the people who are left. And there's, there are only a, a handful of ways to make money in this devastated hellscape of a city. And so and then of course we're going to all end up on a boat because we were all in the Navy and we're going to do something dangerous because that's what we did. That's what we do. And we all feel bad like we somehow failed. Mm-hmm. And so we, the least we can do is come out here and blow ourselves up. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. he, you have his buddies all being angry at him that he's not marrying the woman when clearly they're family. Well, first they, they just assume they assume they're married. And when right. they find out, they get really angry. It's pretty great. It's pretty sweet. Well, and you have a really sweet sort of, even if it's BS, like the sort of some of the greatest generation stories that we like to tell ourselves, you have a really sweet national kind of 
we all got to band together and fight Godzilla and everybody's got to like, and this time we're not going to oh, yeah. be cheap about it, our it, life. It, it and, felt like anachronistic attitude. I mean, it felt like we've processed this for 50 years and passed judgment on our fathers. We've decided they were years, all wrong years, to call for the kamikaze years. pilots and the right. cheap hold on life. And yep. we're going to do it different. But I sort of, it's like, if I'm going to yeah. enjoy a John Wayne movie where John Wayne's like, I don't rape and kill the way a real GI would. I'm just right. Then why can't I enjoy this too? Like sure. I know, I know, I know it's anachronistic. I know it's modern sensibilities, but every era gets to decide what they want their heroes to have been. And there's some sort of fair play there. And I, mm-hmm. I just, well, yeah. the movie also is going to need to take or want to take a point of view on everything. So this mm-hmm. is their moment to do that. And there are two ways to do that. One is to say they were all wrong and stupid, and now I'm going to show you why as this movie plays out. And the other is to say, is to have all your characters that you love say, we've all been wrong and stupid, and we're going to show you the right way this all should have played out. Right. It felt like a very sweet version. And that, it did feel sweet. Maybe there's a wouldn't it be nice to think so element to it, but I'm not opposed to a wouldn't it be nice to think so movie about our culture or anyone else's culture. Well, it felt like really what it is, is a guy trying to process. I don't know who, I wonder who he's speaking for in Japan. I wonder who this director is speaking for. Just trying to think like, do I, do we want to carry forward the culture that we inherited the right. same way? Or do we want something different? I wonder who it is. Well, I felt some well, real. Everybody in the movie feels that way, even well, your yeah. mechanic. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I think one thing that's interesting about thinking about Ian and Abe watching this is because they do bring less cultural, you know, they've seen less Japanese movies and they have less understanding of the Japanese. They, they've they never watched, oh shoot, what's the Pacific Pearl Harbor movie of? Pearl Harbor? No. The one that you grew up watching with your dad all the time. I never saw it ever. Tora, Tora, Tora. Tora, 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 yeah. <laughs> never grew up watching Tora, Tora, Tora. Tora, uh, yeah, any of those. Thanks for pulling that. Well, it's like they don't realize how in play all these ideas are. They're just like, of course, there's going to be the Hollywood ending. Right, right, but I'm right, like, right. I've seen a lot of Japanese movies. I know how fatalistic these people can be. I know how in love with suicide they can be. It's perfectly plausible that this movie could be he failed to commit suicide the first time. Now he gets to really commit suicide. Right. Like that is a. But for the right reasons. But for the right reasons. Yeah, that is right. a very plausible plot for a Japanese yeah, yeah, it is. Even for a Japanese kind of feel-good entertainment movie to... And so I felt more real suspense it's about... It's a plausible plot for a good American movie, too. It's just a plausible plot. Yeah. Well, I the think... The guy makes the sacrificial play. It is a truly sacrificial play. It's not just a wanton kamikaze move. Right. Which I, is what this would have been. I think the Americans right. have the benefit of being... Well, the it's not a benefit, but Americans can just... In, in our kinds of, like in a Marvel entertainment, there's no coherent philosophy behind it. And we don't seem to feel the need for there to be one. It can just be moment to moment what we feel. The one thing you know watching this movie is that one way or another, there's going to be a philosophical through line. There's going to be a thing that the director wants to say. Yeah. And, and the question prob- is, what's it going to be? And what the question is, what's it going to be? And I, I really enjoyed watching that, that all play out without wanting to quite spoil it for people. Disney and Pixar... I mean, they haven't been able to make a movie for five or ten years, but before that, the thing that they do is they actually go and go ahead and really milk the kill moment, right? The sacrifice moment, right? And then they give you 
once you've had all of the emotion of it, they give him back from the dead. Right. Yeah, that's like they the, just stop doing any real sacrifice or whatever. In this movie, but this movie is just coming from a very different perspective. Those movies say we all know he should die and sacrifice at this moment, and we all want that to happen. But we also want our cake and eat it too. So we right. want to feel all of those things, and we want it back. This is not that. This is. It's more interesting than that. It's just more interesting. It's got more to say. Well, and it's got a but, real feeling. Yeah. Like like in an, in an American movie, we would say the government was just bad. The war was just bad. It was just like kamikaze pilots, just terrible. How dare they, anyone at. But this movie is a little bit more complicated than that. Maybe in, in some pagan ways. Like maybe they're they're just too sympathetic to the bloodthirsty culture that Japan, in fact, did have in some ways. But I don't know. It's just interesting to be able to stand outside of a culture and watch it, watch it try and evaluate, evaluate itself, even if you don't agree with all the places that it lands and all the sort of slack it wants to cut itself in some places and yeah. the, the place where it's, the places where it wants to hold its feet to the fire. You know, it's like it's one thing to watch somebody make a movie about the greatest generation or about the 1950s or 60s, you know, about mid-century America and watch them do that where we all feel like personally involved and it's hard to kind of stand above it. But it's just interesting to watch another culture do that with their history. Yeah. Especially yeah. insofar as we have a, he had a big impact on it. Our big role in this movie is, eh, sorry, we can't get involved. We're not going to help with Godzilla. We're worried about the Russians. We're worried about the Russians. We've got our own bigger geopolitical thing going on you're gonna be destroyed you're gonna be destroyed sucks to be you good yeah. luck yeah yeah it's weird i mean we're not we're only what, two generations from world war ii kind of weird my grandfather was on a battleship in world war ii in the navy viscerally hated the japanese i'm not saying he carried that with him to his grave but that was his experience I mean, facing, I grew up, facing them I, 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 know, I knew old men. There have, there have been old men from that generation in my life who did, if you ask them about the Japanese, they'd just say they are a brutal, nasty, gross. I mean, they would just start talking like that. Maybe we are the last generation to have known that <laughs> generation. Mm. Yeah, I know that. I know that generation. My grandfather did not fight in World War II. He was too young. His big brother did. My grandfather mm. fought in Korea. But yeah, wild. Well, it all started with the Americanization of Gojira. That's right. We started building bitches. Yep. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Slash exploiting them for our own commercial purposes. <laughs> Anything else to say? Final thoughts? Yeah. I, the only thing is, I'm trying to think of the last thing I watched that made me feel such a sense of tragedy. Like close to home. Like, boy, do I feel sad and heavy. I don't know what it would be. But this one got me. I was trying to think of some joke like you watched your your mom uh, <laughs> do something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's effective. You could have just said, "Speaking of being sad and heavy." Speaking of being sad and heavy. Yeah, there you true. go. Godzilla was sad and heavy. I, I thought this was. A, I thought this was a wonderful movie. Maybe I'm overselling it, and you'll go and you'll be like, "Okay, what, whatever." But I don't care. I my job on this podcast is to describe the experience that I had, and then you can have whatever experience you have, and you can base whatever opinion you can derive from me, my description, whatever is helpful for you. But if I'm just describing my experience, I think this is an absolutely wonderful movie. I haven't felt this strongly about a theater, a theatrical movie, like a new release movie in a long time. I really, mm. really loved it. I mean, it also I love. I mean, I love art films. I love all kinds of movies, but 
when an entertainment can be done well, when a genre piece can be done well, that's just my jam. I love, I just think there's nothing more special than being able to hit the beats of a thing that people already know. Like, you know what this movie is. You know the beats when you go into it. To be able to, it's like a great pop song or something. Like, you know it's three minutes long. You know it's going to have a guitar solo. But then to be able to play those grace notes, to be able to do everything just perfectly so that it really soars and really connects to something human and something real, that's just my favorite thing. Whether it's a detective novel or a superhero movie or whatever else but it does the whole genre thing perfectly but then also transcendence transcendence transcends it to me that's better than like great scorsese killers of the flower moon makes me really sad about what we did to the natives awesome that's easy making a godzilla movie make me feel Mm -hmm. this much that's hard that requires some real skill eat that scorsese (laughs) <laughs> so I'm going to give this movie 14. What's a unit? There's lots of units. What are, what's a positive unit from this? Inflatable rafts. Godzilla shards. I'll give this movie 14. Godzilla shards out of 14. Ben? I think I'll do the same. Jake? I have it 13 out of 14. 13 out of 14. There you go. That's a pretty good average, folks. I don't know what that comes to. But that's a lot of Godzilla shards. I'll say that much. Okay. That is all. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. Until next time. Stay sane. No. I cannot accept that. I need a line from Godzilla minus one. Live.